All right, I will say good morning, good morning. Let us, let us begin. It's a schus to be able to continue to learn with you. I'm sorry that uh, I'm not able to be there with you in person this morning. But Baruch Hashem, at least we could be together live virtually. I don't know, until about two years ago, I would have thought that that statement doesn't make sense. But now, Baruch Hashem, in our new world, it actually makes a little bit of sense. Thank you to, to Maishi and to Jeremy for helping to set up the logistics at Shul. It's a great to see the Hebron Shul, at least part of the Hebron Shul. Great to see the Hebron online. And also with that, let us begin. Begin by thanking our sponsors. Thank our Talmud Torah sponsors for the month of Sivan. Baruch Marina Duman for dedicating all the Sherman Trashos this month. In in discuss for the first for their niece Chava Devora Bas Chaya Sipor excuse me Chaim Devora Chaya Chava Devora Bas Chaya Malka excuse me we hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah she together with Kol Holy so we have a complete and enduring refuah we thank Shmuley and Libo Dinovitz for dedicating all the Shemin Drushos this month in memory of Shmuley's father Harav Peretz Avram Ben Arad Binyamin Moshe Zechon Lidracha we hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah then Hashem will have an Aliyah. And the family in the Chama. Most with that, let us begin. We have a beautiful daf ahead of us today. A lot to do today. Today's daf is Kof Yud Gimel, one thirteen. We left off on Kof Yud Beis Amud Beis one twelve B, and we left off twenty lines up from the bottom. So a lot to do. But again, we'll get through the Mishnah relatively quickly, and then Amir Hashem begin to really go ahead and delve into the sugya. So we left off twenty lines up from the bottom. Last word on the line: Shnei Achin. Two brothers, one is a cheresh and one is a pikeach. So I'm married to two sisters. One is a cheresh and one is a pikeach. If the cheresh husband, the husband of the cheresh dies, what should the, we'll call it the, Pikeach husband, the typical husband. What should he go ahead? The husband who is the husband of the Pikachas, the typical woman, what should he do? Ultimately, again, there's no Yibo because once again, the Yivama is his wife's sister, and therefore, again, no Yibo. So ultimately, again, if the Pikeach brother, who is married to the Pikeach wife passes away. So what should the brother who's a Cheresh, who's married to the Cheresh's do? Ultimately, he divorces his wife for the Gat. So remember again, we keep on seeing these cases over and over, where either Lemaise again, Yibum or Chalitza won't happen because of Achosisha, or second possibility is that you have a conflict or a clash between a man who has a rabbinic marriage with a woman, ultimately, again, and, and, and I'm saying a, a rabbinic marriage, and then clashing with a biblical obligation of Yibum. If you have two brothers, one a cheresh, one a pikeach, married to two un, unrelated women. So pikhos, and both women are pikhos, both women are typical, typical regular women. If the husband who's a cheresh married to a typical woman dies, what should, what should the surviving brother do? So remember, this is no sisters anymore. So they could either do chalitza or yibum. If ultimately, again, the pikeach husband married to the pikeachas dies, 
What should the Cherish husband do? What should the Cherish surviving brother do? Kone is Venomotilo. He marries her and doesn't divorce her. Again, we'll explain why that is. He marries her because there's Yibom, but when it comes to divorce, we may have an issue because he is a Cherish. So you'll find an interesting dynamic here that, again, like I said, we'll get into all of these cases, but this is a fascinating one because here you have a Cherish who's marrying a woman through Yibum, which is biblical, yet a Cherish's ability to divorce his wife is only Dirabanan. So in a normal situation where a Cherish marries a woman normally, then Halacha Lamaisa, what we say is, okay, you got, we'll see this in the Gemara in just a moment, you got married rabbinically, you could get divorced rabbinically. The interesting thing is that when a Cherish does Yibum, he has a biblical relationship but yet again lacks the ability or the intellectual faculties or capacity to dissolve it in a biblical fashion. So you can have a situation where he does yibum and he's never able to divorce this woman. Again, we'll see all of this in greater depth in just a bit. So the Gemara says, Two regular brothers married to two unrelated women. One is a bikeach and one is a cheresh. If the husband who is married to the Kharashes dies, what should the Pikeach husband do? Pikeach brother do? Kones, ultimately, again, he could do Yibum. And if he wants to divorce her afterwards, he could divorce her afterwards. If ultimately, again, the Pikeach married to the Pikeachas dies, what should the brother who is the Pikeach married to the Bacharashes do? Oh, holy so Again, I will say it's a typical case. He has the options of Yibam or Chalitza. Shnei Achen. Shnei Achen. Echad Cherish, Echad Bikach, Nesun, Mebeis, Nochrios, Achas Karashas, Vachas Pikachos. So I will say in the last case, two brothers. One is a Cherish, one is a Pikach, married to two unrelated women. One is a Karashas, one is a Pikachos. Mes Cherish, Bacharashas. If the husband who is the Cherish married to the Karashas dies, what should the typical brother marry to the typical woman do? So ultimately, Konis, he has the ability to do Yibum. And if he wants to divorce her subsequently, he could do so. If the Pikeach husband married to the Pikeachas dies, so I will say, then what does the Cherish brother do? So Konis, so I'll say, that's what we just said before. He could do Yibum. The Cherish brother could do Yibum. The problem, once again, is once a Cherish brother does Yibum, there is no longer, and once he marries her, there is no longer an ability to go ahead and divorce her. Once again, because the marriage will be biblical in nature, Yibum, but yet a Cherish's ability to navigate the relationships ultimately, again, is only a Dirabonon. Beautiful. Let's say all these cases. Now let's drill in, not as much to the cases, but a bit more into some of the concepts. Shabbos so say, says the Gemara, seven lines up from the bottom. Amar Rai Barchama, Maishna Cherish v'chareish es tetakinu v'rabana nisun, u maishna d'shota, shota v'shota, t'lotakinu v'rabana nisun. I will say, I mentioned this in yesterday's shir, one of the greatest novelties of this Mishnah is that we see that there is a concept of marriage by a cherish. Who knew? Who knew? My entire Talmudic life, we always assume, Chere Shota the cotton, 
Although they lack capacity, marriage requires capacity. So Khairi shouldn't have the ability to enter into marriage. Yet we see that that's clearly not the case. Now, obviously, a Khairish can't affect biblical marriage, but the Rabbanon were metakim, they instituted, they created some type of rabbinic marriage for the Khairish. To which the Gemara says, great, if that's the case, why is it that the Rabbanon only created a rabbinic marriage for a Khairish and not a Shota? And not a shota. Remember, a shota is an insane person. A person lacks capacity. So remember again, it will say, what's, what's the Gemara's question? Generally, we group cheresh and shota together. So if Chazal are going out of the way to create a rabbinic construct of marriage for a cheresh, why don't they create a rabbinic construct of marriage for a shota? To which the Gemara says something amazing. The Gemara says, "The sign of Shota v'Kanshen also not Shem Eisim The Brisa says that if a Shota or a Katan were married, now again we'll see that they were married and then they died without children. There is no Yibo Machalitza, which is another way of saying that their marriage isn't a marriage. Their marriage isn't a marriage. To which the Gemara says, "So why is it again that Chazal instituted marriage for a Cheresh but not for a Shota?" To which the Gemara gives a, a, a fascinating answer. When it comes to a Cheresh and a Cherashas, who have the ability to live together, they have the ability to live together. So therefore, Chazal instituted for them a construct of rabbinic marriage. What does this mean? Take a look at Rashi. This is so fascinating. I will say, Cheresh and Echarashas have the ability to live together. They could create what, what, what is for them a normal life. And they could ultimately, again, live b'shalom. They could live, live peacefully together. Therefore, So I will say, so therefore, again, this is incredible. When a man and woman could live b'shalom together, so ultimately, again, in a case like that, Chazal instituted a rabbinic construct of marriage. We go back to the Gemara. However, Shota v'Shota, the low time matakanta the Rabbanon, the Rabbanon says Shota and a Shota who cannot live together. Why not? A person can't live together with a snake in one basket. In other words, the Rabbanon says, what is he saying? See, Cherish and Cherashes, there is a physical disability. There's a physical disability. So especially two people who share the same physical disability, or even if you have one typical person, another person with disability, there's an ability to create a shalomdik marriage together. But with a shota, a shota is a person who totally lacks capacity. A shota is a person who is unpredictable. A shota is a person who engages in erratic behavior. There is no way to forge a normative relationship with such a person like that. So therefore, Chazal, Chazal did not feel that it was necessary to, or appropriate for that matter to create a rabbinic construct of marriage for such a situation. I will say a very profound episode also, once again, in Chazal's understanding of marriage that I will say we, we've been speaking about, again, some of the some of the core components necessary for a meaningful and, and fulfilling marriage. So we saw in two, two days or yesterday's daf, we saw the notion of growing together. Now we see what else is necessary for a proper marriage. Shalom. Shalom. If you don't have shalom, if you don't have peace in your marriage, there, there's nothing to talk about. There is no marriage. There is no relationship. So it's pretty incredible. So the Gemara says over here, for a cheresh, for a cheresh, 
who has the ability to create a relationship of shalom, ultimately, again, will go ahead and create rabbinic marriage for them. But for a shota who has a fundamental inability to live a life of shalom just because of emotional instability or unpredictability, Chazal did not create marriage for them. Absolutely incredible. So the Gemara goes right there. So ask another question. Why is it that a katan doesn't have marriage? A katan can't affect marriage, yet a cheresh can. And as I will say, it's all the same kasha, because these three people, cheresh, shotev, a katan, are always, are always grouped together. So if now we're seeing that Chazal created a rabbinic, a rabbinic framework of marriage for a cheresh, why not create the rabbinic framework of marriage for a katan? And as I will say, now let's be clear. We're not talking about a father's ability to marry off his daughter. That's biblical. We're not even talking about over here a mother or a brother's ability to marry off a daughter. That's rabbinic. We're talking about stamakatan. Stamakatan. A boy, a boy wants to affect marriage. Why can't he? If after all, again, we're saying over here now that a chirish can affect marriage, why can't a katan affect marriage? So I will say, interesting idea. So the Gemara says, chirish delo asi lechlan nisuin, takin rabbanan nisuin. A very, very simple distinction. Cheresh uh, is in a state which is going to remain intact. That's a state. He's a cheresh. Say, if I will say, if Chazal don't do something for him, he'll never have the ability to affect marriage. And again, build out a family, everything that comes with that. Therefore, Chazal felt compelled to do something for him, to create for him a normative framework of marriage. a katan, wait. Wait a little bit of time, and in Eretz Hashem, the cotton will become a gadol, zak, cotton, gadol, yihiyah, and ultimately, again, he will be able to affect marriage in a normative fashion. Incredible. So the Gemara says, Hari Kitana das lichlan nisun, vita kinra abon nisun, I, but once I go about a Kitana, what about a female minor? So I'll say, female minor, as we just said before, Chazal instituted marriage for her, right? Again, that if, her, if there's no father, her mother or her brother can marry her off. So why don't we say, listen, why do we have to create any rabbinic framework of marriage for a kitana? Just let her wait. Just let her wait. And Amir Sashem, she'll get married when she reaches the age of, of adulthood, to which the Gemara says, to which the Gemara says, It's different. There, Chazal had a vested interest in creating for a framework of marriage in order that men not take advantage of her. So marriage provides her with a certain level of physical security, also financial security, and Chazal felt it was important. For interesting question. Why is it that a kitana has the ability to do miyun? Right? Remember, her simple refusal to continue in their marriage dissolves the marriage. Right? Also remember, again, miyun only works ultimately for Kiddushan, where her brother or her, or her mother marries her off, not where her father marries her off. Where her father marries her off, that's biblical marriage, and that requires a get. Rabbinic marriage could be dissolved with miyun. So ask the Gemara, so why can't the Chareshas also dissolve her marriage with miyun? After all, it's a rabbinic marriage as well. Top of Kofiur Gimel, Mimani Velo because you know why? Here's what's interesting. If, if Chareshes uh, could go ahead and dissolve her marriage through Mion, ultimately, again, no man is going to marry her. Why? Look at Rashi. Rashi says, Tap Rashi, Kufiud Gimelanav, 113a, first line. The Hawil Ula Olam Hi Cholulamayim Mei Harushasa, Avakhani Gvoshe. Listen to this. No man is going to marry a Chareshes 
if forever she has the ability to do meal. Then I will say at any given moment, she could just dissolve the marriage. It's interesting. In that case, the man would have absolutely no marital security. So why would he marry such a woman? Ah, you'll say, but then why would he marry a kitano? Because she could also do meal. And here's the difference with the kitano. With the kitano, there's a limited window in which she could perform meal. Only when she's a Kitano. Once she reaches the age of adulthood, Lamaisa, the marriage morphs into a normative marriage, and there's no longer an ability to do Mion. Since Chazal had a vested interest in ensuring that the Chareshes gets married, they did not give her the right of Mion. Fascinating. Why is it that a Kitano has the ability to eat truma, right? I will say when a kitana marries a coin, she has the ability to eat truma, yet interestingly enough, a chareshes does not. Interesting, a chareshes, if she marries a coin, as much as that marriage is, is a rabbinic marriage, she doesn't have the right to, to, to eat truma. Why is that? This man, testified, that a Chareshes, whose father married her off, that she goes out with a get. She goes out with a get. V'yal kitano, v'yal kitano, bas Yisrael sheni seis l'koin, sh'ocheles p'truma. And furthermore, it testified that if a kitano marries a coin, she can marry truma. Now, we can infer from that, he, he, he's only spoke about a kitano marries a coin, that a Chareshes who marries a coin. V'yilu Chareshes, so you see from it that a Chareshes can't eat truma if she marries a coin. So Why? Both the Kitana and the Chareshes really have the same level of marriage, right? They're both Kiddushay Dirabanan. If that's the case, then Lamaisa, why could the Kitana eat Truma and yet the Chareshes cannot? What are we concerned about? It's fascinating. We're concerned about a case of a Kohen who is a Cheresh who marries the Chareshes. That's what we're really concerned about. That Halacha Lamaisa. Again, that's going to be a rabbinic marriage on all ends. And therefore, we're concerned that she's going to end up eating truma. To which the Gemara says, let her eat truma. The says a fascinating expression. There is a concept of katan ochal nevelos, which means if a katan, if you see a katan eating something not kosher. Right? So I will say, so the halacha is, I hate to say it like this, it's not a big deal. You don't, we don't give a katan something not kosher to eat. But Lamaisa, if the katan is eating something not kosher, okay, you don't, you don't have to go ahead and go nuts over it. So the cheresh, or say the chareshas, is just like a katan. So if she's going to eat truma, is, is it really such a big deal? She doesn't have capacity. She doesn't have liability. So Lamaisa, what's, what's so terrible about allowing her to go ahead and eat truma, to which the Gemara says, Oh, they will say, what's our real concern? Our real concern is that if a cheresh kohen, listen to this, our real concern is a cheresh kohen marries a typical woman, a regular woman. So I will say, so now, now we have an issue. Because I will say, listen to this. A cheresh kohen who marries a typical woman that is only a kiddushet dirabonon, that's a rabbinic marriage. The ability to eat truma is only given when? To biblical marriages. If a regular woman illegally eats truma, that is an incredibly serious transgression. So the Gemara says all of these cases that we mentioned over here 
the real concern we have, at the end of the day, the real concern we have is for this last case. That's the real concern about a cheresh who marries a pikachas. A cheresh coin marrying a typical woman, that's where we have our concern, lest she come to go ahead and eat shuma. But one second, even a cheresh with a pikachos, she should still be able to at least eat truma dirabanon, right? That should work to be able to eat truma dirabanon. To which the says, you're right. Ultimately, we're concerned that she may come to eat truma daraisa. So both say, so kind of just to bring this all together, this is really quite fascinating. See, even though a kitana who marries a coin is permitted to eat truma, a chareshes who marries a coin is not. Now, why is that? Now, that all of this is a concern because of a case of a coin chiresh who marries a pikachas. That's our great concern because in that case, again, that's rabbinic marriage. And if the pikachas ends up eating truma, that would actually be a severe transgression. Incredible. So ask the Gimara, why is it that a Kitana has a Ksuva, right? If a Kitana marries a man, so there's an obligation, he has to give her a Ksuva, and yet the Kharashas does not have a Ksuva. So what's the Pshat? What's the Pshat? The Imkain, Mimani, Velon, Naspila. The both say the concern is that Halach, if you have to give a Kharashas a Ksuva, people aren't going to marry her. As I will say, remember again, you see, you see this, you see this, you see this tension. We have a vested interest in marrying off the Harashas. We have a vested interest in getting her into a marriage, getting her into a marriage. So Lamaisa, anything that's going to potentially derail that, we go ahead and we avoid. So if there's, if there's a ksuva, that might say to a man, listen, if I, if I have to pay a ksuva, I'm not going to marry this Harashas. I'm not going to marry her. But if there's no ksuva, Perhaps again, that might be an additional motivation to have him marry her. Okay. Well, Kitana Milan is like Suva. But by the way, from where do you know that a that a Kitana has a Suva? Where 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 do you know that from? To which the Gemara says, "Disnan hamema enes vashnia ba'elin is in like Suva." So we'll say the the, the Mishnah says, "Mema enes a girl who does miyum, or a shnia, which is a secondary rabbinic erba, or an islandess. All of these women don't have a Suva." Aval yotze beget, but any person, any woman who goes out with a get, ultimately again uktana, and a ketana is included in that. Yesh laksuva has a ksuva. Vecharesh, okay. So what I say, you see, a ketana has a ksuva. Uvecharesh's midalon does laksuva, and how do you know that a charesh's doesn't have a ksuva? To which the Gemara says, "This not this anyo cheresh v'shota." Shenas Cheresh Vishota, Cheresh Vishota, excuse me. Shenasu Pikhos. We'll say if you have a man who's a Cheresh or a man who is a Shota who marries a typical regular woman, so what's the halacha? Afa Pi Shenis Pakeach, a Cheresh, and Nishtafa Shota. It's very interesting. Even though both says, watch this case. The man is a Cheresh or a Shota. He marries a typical woman, a regular, a regular, healthy woman. And then what happens? Baruch Hashem, he becomes healed. Right, the man was now is now able to hear and to speak. He's no longer a cheresh or Baruch Hashem. He regained his mental faculties. So now Baruch Hashem again, he's not a shot anymore. So what's Dalacha? Ultimately, I will say the women still have no claim of a ksuva against him. 
right? Because Lamaisa, again, when he married them, he was a Chiresh or a Shota. There's no Ksuba in that type of marriage. Even though now he's healed, there's no claim again. They have no Ksuba against him. However, but now, say since the, these men have been healed, if they want to continue in their marriage, ultimately, again, from this point forward, they will have a ksuva obligation. Similarly, again, if you have a pikeach, so the man is a typical healthy guy. He marries a chareshes or a shota. Right? Even if he writes to Narva, so let's say he decides to commit to her for an exorbitant ksuva of 100 mana, ksuva sakayemes, Ultimately, again, the Ksuva stands. Why? Because he decided to give her money. Let's say that Lashon of Ratza Lazuk bin means, listen, let's say if I don't owe someone money, but I decide to commit to them for some amount of money, that becomes a binding commitment. So if a man is not obligated to go ahead and provide a Ksuva for his wife, but he chooses to do so, halacha lamaisa, again, that is his choice. And that choice is a binding one to which the Gemara says, Now the reason ultimately, again, that he is obligated in this ksuba is because he chose to. Ultimately, again, also you see from here that if the typical man, the pikeach, is marrying the charash, as in here, he doesn't want to give her a ksuba, he doesn't have to. Why? Because also, as we said before, we're concerned that if you have to give a ksuva to a charashas, then what's going to happen? People won't marry her. So in order to encourage marriage to a charashas, to provide her with the safety, security, and benefits of marriage, ultimately, again, there's no ksuva. To which the Gemara says, one second, If that's the case, then when a typical woman, a pikachas woman, marries a cherish, cherish man, he should have to give her a ksuva. After all, again, because if you don't make him give her a ksuva, then what? Then what? People won't marry him. We're not worried about that. We're not worried about that. We're not worried about women not marrying a chirish man because of no ksuva. Why? Yosef, because Yosef ish wrote Lisa, isha wrote More than a man wants to get married, a woman wants to get married. So I will say this is an absolutely fascinating dynamic. So what the Gemara is suggesting over here, I will say, is as follows. That halacha listen to this. Halacha the Gemara is suggesting that in, you don't have to incentivize marriage to a man who is a chiresh. Why? Because women want to get married. And women want to get married much more, much more than men. So lemaisa, again, even if the man is a chiresh, you don't have to throw in a ksuba to incentivize marriage to him. Conversely, if the woman is a chareshas, the woman is a chareshas, if you put a ksuva in there, that may go ahead and be an obstacle to a man marrying her. So quite a fascinating idea. Good. was an interesting story. There was a cheresh, a guy who was a cheresh, who lived in the neighborhood of Rav Malkio. So he married a woman. arranged. Malkio arranged that the woman should have a ksuva of 400 zos. An exorbitant ksuva. 
So we'll say, so again, so we just got finished saying that when the man is a cheresh, right, the man is a cheresh and he's marrying a pikachas, there's no obligation for tzuva. Yet again, this case happened in the neighborhood of Rav Malkio, and Malkio arranged a very, uh, very, uh, very expensive tzuva. Amarava, we'll say first wide line, Kof Yud Gimel Man Malkio. Who is as smart as Rav Malkio? Why? The Gavra Rabbahu, Kasara Iluraza Shiv Kalasham Show, Milo Zabninane, Kol Shekain Hacha di Ikutarti. There was his name, Rav Malkio said to the Cheresh, as follows You know, you would need someone regardless to take care of you. Right? You need someone, whatever it is, you need someone to help you in the house. You need someone to help look after you. You need someone to help take care of domestic response. You, you would need someone regardless. So now, Baruch Hashem, you found a wife who could provide you with all of the care you need, plus provide you with companionship, provide you with marriage, hopefully provide you with a family. So Lamaise again, isn't it worth it, quote unquote, to pay for such a woman, right? In other words, that he was encouraging him. In other words, you, you would have had you would have had an outlay and expense regardless, right? And, and and you would have had no marital benefits from that outlay. Now, Baruch Hashem, you could have a wife, you could have a life, you could have a mishpacha. Certainly, it's worth it for you to give her a ksuba. It's quite beautiful. So, say, so to be clear, the the conclusion of the gemara is not changing. In other words, there's no obligation of ksuba in a cheresh relationship. But again, Lamaisi, even if there's no obligation, the Cheresh husband absolutely has the right to commit himself to such a ksuva should he choose. Good. What's another interesting case? Said is not the same as yours. I'm not going to lie. Not the same as yours. I'm on my third cup already, and I'm still not feeling uh, awake. All right, so the Gemara says as follows. Let's talk about this just a moment. Let's say a man has relations with the wife of a cheresh. Okay? So you have, so right, so, so ultimately, again, a woman married to a cheresh, which, which we've kind of seen before is a, we, we thought it's a rabbinic marriage of sorts, comes along Shmuel and says that if you go, if a man has relations with the wife of a cheresh, he is not chayivin asham taloi. Now, both say, asham taloi, if you look at Rashi, right, it's the third of the wide, fourth of the wide lines in Rashi, in chalom shum asham taloi, the name of safek ishes ish, safek hayabadas, safek inbo, and I will say, Asham Taloi is the sin offering that is brought in a case where you may have committed a serious transgression. So here's what's interesting. One might have thought that one would be obligated to go ahead and bring in Asham Taloi if one commits adultery or if one has relations with the wife of a Cherish. Because maybe, again, we're not sure what exactly is the nature of the relationship. Shmuel comes along and says that if a man has relations with the wife of a Cherish, he is not obligated to bring in Asham Taloi, which I will say is another way of saying that according to Shmuel, there is no marriage for a Cherish. There's no marriage. They could live together. They could have some type of rabbinic union. But Lamaisa, again, it's not marriage. It's not marriage. And therefore, again, if another man were to have relations with her, this would not be called adultery under, under any, on, on any level. 
So we'll say, let's say that the following Bryce supports Shmuel's opinion. There are five people who shouldn't take Truma. If they did separate Truma, in Truma, and Truma, their separation is not a valid separation of Elohim. These are these people. Someone takes Truma from produce that's not their own. Or a Gentile who takes Truma from the produce of the Israel. With the permission of Israel, ultimately, again, the truma is not good. So we'll say, what do you see from here? You see, so again, what does this price say? That for focusing on a cherish, if a cherish separates out truma, the act, his act, the truma separation is meaningless and invalid. So we'll say, this seems to support Shmuel. Shmuel's of the opinion that the actions of a cherish are meaningless. Therefore, even if a cherish affects marriage, Meaningless. It doesn't. It does. It doesn't mean anything. Vaharaya. Even if you have relations with his wife, that's not called adultery. There's not even an asham taloi. To which the Gemara says, maybe not. Who It could be that Shmuel himself holds like Rabbi Lazar. What does Rabbi Lazar say? This Arabi Yitzchak Amishum Rabbi Lazar. Shumas cherish lotetsi lechulin. Mevneishu safek. They both say it could be that in the truma case, Shmuel holds like Rabbi Lazar. And Rabbi Lazar holds that, no, when a, when a cheresh separate, separates out truma, it's a suffix, whether or not the separation was good. So Shmuel holds like that by truma. One second, if that's the case, Israel, Rabbi Lazar, asham taloi nami lechayif. But one second, if Shmuel holds like Rabbi Lazar by truma, and Rabbi Lazar holds that by truma, that which a cheresh does is suffix. Suffix, whether or not it was meaningful or meaningless. If that's the case, then if a man has relations with the wife of a cheresh, you should be chayiv in asham So both said it's very interesting. When it comes to Asham Talui, when it comes to Asham Talui, so ultimately again, sorry. When it comes to Asham Talui, oh, you hear me all right still? We're good? Okay, it must be just YouTube. Okay. When it comes to Asham Talui, there's a special halacha about Asham Talui, which is, I will say, the typical case of Asham Talui is like this. You have two pieces of meat. One is basr, one is chalev. And what happens? You ate one of them. What don't you know? What don't you know? Which one you ate? I will say, so that's the typical case of Asham Talui, what we call chaticha achos mishte chatichos. There's two bodies. There's two entities one asr, one mutter, you just don't know which one you, you engaged with. In this case over here, this is the right, when we talk about the wife of a, of a cheresh, so this is not, that doesn't follow that model. This is one woman. We're just not sure of her status. So we'll say, so, here's, so, so just to follow what's happening over here. Shmuel says, follow the progression. Shmuel says that if a man has relations with the wife of a cheresh, he is not chayiv and asham taloi. He's not chayiv and asham taloi. Now, I will say, so then the Gemara says, what does that tell you? That tells that according to Shmuel, the, the marriage of a Chiresh is not a marriage. The Gemara says, oh, great. He, we, I'll bring a Bryce that supports him. What's the Bryce that supports him? That if a Chiresh separates out Truma, his designation is meaningless. That shows that the actions of a Chiresh are totally, fundamentally meaningless. 
Tumish Gemara says, hold on. It could be that by Truma, Shmuel holds like Rabbi Lazar, right? And Rabbi Lazar holds that if a Chedri separates out Truma, then Allah says it's a Safik, it's a Safik. Well, if that's what he holds like by Rabbi Lazar, then if you have relations with the wife of a Chirish, you should be Chayven Asham Taloi as well. Safik, is she married, is she not married? To which the Gemara says, no. Shmuel holds there's no, there's no Asham Taloi because I will say the din for Asham Taloi is a very specific circumstance of Chaticha Achas Meshte Chatichos. Two things in front of you, one motor, one aser. You, you engaged with one. You don't know which one you engaged in. That's Asham Taloi. But I will say, in this case over here, that's not the case. Here you had relations with a woman who's married to a Chirish. The Shailah is, is she married? Is she not married? But that's not Chatich Achas Mishtei Chatichos. It's a suffix in one entity. Good. Umi by Rabbi Lazar Chaticha Mishtei Chatichos. Then I both say, does Rabbi Lazar himself require this model of Chaticha Achas, one piece of two pieces, in order to be Chayv in Asham Talui? After all, again, the Gemara says, Vatan Rabbi Lazar Omer Kai. Chayavin al chalbo asham taloi. Shabbos say akai. If you look at Rashi, Rashi says over here. Rashi says over here. Um, actually, we'll leave it. So I don't know. Kai. Oh, say is an animal. Is an animal. Now the difference of the kai say is kai is a suffix behema suffix chaya. Is a kai in the behema category or a chaya category? Shabbos say what's the difference? A behema chaylev is aser. Its fat is aser. On Chaya, the fat is not Aser. So yet Rabbi Lazar is on record as saying, Kai, if you eat the Chilav of a Kai, you're Chayif, right? You're Chayif in Asham Taloi, because maybe you ate forbidden fat. Now, I will say, that's not Chaticha Achas Mishtei Chatichos. Ultimately, again, that's one, that's one thing. And yet you're still Chayif Asham Taloi. To which the says, you're right, you're right. Shmuel Savak Rabbi Lazar Bechada. It could be that Shmuel holds the most like Rabbi Lazar in one case, maybe like by Truma, but ultimately it doesn't hold like Rabbi Lazar in the case of Asham Taloi. Okay. The Gedami, your alternate version of this, Amr Khiya, Bar Asham, or Shmuel, Eishes Cheresh Chayavin Allah Asham Taloi. Rabbi Lazar is an alternate version of this. The alternate version of this is if a man has relations with the wife of a Cheresh, you are Chayavin Asham Taloi. I, the Gimara says, and whose opinion does this reflect? Ultimately, again, the Yomar says, In this version, Shmuel holds like Rebbe Lazar, namely that for Asham Talui, you don't need Chaticha Achos Mishtei Chaticha. So, so two very interesting alakos. So first of all, say, we paskin that if a man has relations with the wife of a Cheresh, he is not Chayiv in Asham Talui. Because Rebbe say, at most, remember again, Halach at most, we are affecting rabbinic marriage for a cherish, not biblical marriage. If it's not biblical marriage, then there can't be any level of rabbinic liability for adultery with her. That's number one. I will say what I will tell you is also something very interesting. But Asham Talui, how do we paskin? You only bring in Asham Talui in a case of chaticha achas mishte chatichos. You need this paradigm of two pieces, one motor, one aser. You engaged with one, not sure which one you engaged with. That's the case of Asham Taloi. But a suffix that exists within one entity, that ultimately is not an Asham Taloi case. Very interesting. Second, second last line from the bottom. Kofiud Gimel Amadalit. Boy, boy, Ravashi, my time with Rabbi Lazar. Rabbi say this, this is really fascinating. What is Rabbi Lazar's logic? So Rabbi say Rabbi Lazar holds that Halacha Lamaisa, that Halacha Lamaisa, it appears that Rabbi Lazar would hold that in the case of an HS Cheresh, 
ultimately, again, one would be chayiv in Asham Taloi. So, sorry, that's where Loz's logic. If a man has really, so again, both say, so, so Ruvain is married to a chayiv, or Ruvain's a chayiv, married to a woman, right? Shimon comes along and has relations with her. Rabbi Lazar says he's chayiv in Asham Taloi. Shimon is chayiv in Asham Taloi. What's his logic? To which the Gemara says, Mifshat Pshitalei, the chayiv daita kalishtavu. So we'll say, let's go back for just a moment. Look at the last Rashi and Omid Allah for just a moment. Rashi says over here, so Kilishta, Daka Kloma, Daito Muete, Shaino Mechuda, Lahavin, Kshabani Adam. We must have them the last Rashi and Omid Allah. Osek Tazadashishlo, Insulula, Ubamashu, no sin Daito, Osek Davar, Vandai Kavana, so Kavana. How does Rabbi Lazar view a chiresh? On one hand, we know that a chiresh doesn't have full capacity. But on the other hand, maybe a chiresh doesn't lack complete capacity. So maybe he has what, he, what we call, he doesn't have daita silusa, which means clarity, but he has maybe this daito kalishta, this lighter level of das. But, Rabbi, but the idea is that a chirish has one consistent level of awareness of das, a diminished das, but one consistent level of awareness throughout his life. Is that how we look, is that how we look at a chirish? Rather, no. On the other hand, perhaps we say, no, a chirish has complete diminished capacity. However, so I will say, this is incredible. How do we, so we'll say, to look at a cheresh, right? Do we say, that a, here's what we know. Possibility one, cheresh clearly doesn't have complete capacity. Then maybe he has a level of diminished capacity. But that diminished capacity is a constant diminished capacity. In other words, he has one state. And that one state is continuous, or the other possibility is that, no, in general, a cheresh has no capacity. But yet, interestingly enough, sometimes he does have complete capacity. In other words, there are moments of absolute clarity, moments of what we call daita tzilula, right? The itim chalim, sometimes he's totally normal, itim shotes. In other words, we'll say, do we view a cheresh as consistently diminished capacity or generally no capacity, but sometimes moments of clarity. Take a look at Rashi. Let me just go back for just a moment. Remember, Rabbi Lazar said that if you have relations with the wife of a, with the wife of a cheresh, that you have a asham talui, which means that it's a suffix kiddushin. Safik Yidushin. So why is it a Safik Yidushin? So there are two ways to look at this. Possibility A is when Relazer looks at a Chirish, what does he see? A person who has, does not have complete capacity, but has a consistent level of diminished capacity. And perhaps in this consistent level of diminished capacity, maybe he has the right to, or has the ability to affect some level of marriage. Or the other possibility is that no, he has no capacity. But the interesting part about a cheirish is that there are moments where he has what? Complete capacity. And what are we concerned about? That maybe he affected kiddushin with his wife 
in one of those moments of complete capacity. And that's why if you have relations with her, ultimately it's, it's, a, it's an Asham Taloi. To which the Gemara says, okay, now both say, now either way is kind of saying the same thing, which is a Kheresh doesn't have complete capacity, may have either some level of consistent capacity or moments of complete capacity. All right, but either way, I understand what Rabbi Loza is saying is it's a, it's a suffix, and that's why if he marries a woman, she's a suffix ish is ish. But the Gemara says, Lamai nafkamina. They both say, but what's the chilik between these two approaches? Listen to this. Lahoti ishto beget. Wow. They both say, if a cherish marries a woman, does he have the ability to divorce her with a get? Now remember again, get requires das. So watch this. If you go with the first approach, that a cherish has a consistent level of diminished capacity. So therefore, again, I both say the same way he could affect marriage with his consistent level of diminished capacity, he could affect divorce with that same level of diminished capacity. I will say, watch this, but if you hold that a cherish, sometimes he's mamish a shota, and sometimes he has complete capacity, then what? So we listen to this. Then here's the problem. He can't divorce his wife. Why can't he divorce his wife? Because it's possible that when he affected Kiddushin, what state was he in? A complete level of, of total capacity, total intact capacity. And maybe now when he wants to divorce her, he's in a state of diminished capacity. So therefore, I will say, therefore, again, in that case, he would not be able to give her a get. So I will say, so, so the Gemara says, so which one is it? To which the Gemara says, teku. To which the Gemara says, we're not sure. So I will say, I'll, ju- I'll just point out something. Else. Now, again, I want to point out, we don't pass like Rebel Azar, right? So remember, again, we hold that you're not having Asham Taloi, ultimately, again, for for an act of relations with the wife of a Kheresh. We also, right, but again, I will say, we also hold that a Kheresh's marriage is totally Dirabanon. But it is, it is fascinating to see this, this Chakira in how we look at Kheresh. Is he someone of a consistent level of diminished capacity, but it's it diminished, but it's consistent, or no, he's generally no capacity or, or highly diminished, but we assume maybe there are moments of lucidity or there are moments of complete capacity. So that, that's, that's the tension we find in Kheresh. Beautiful. Let's go weiter. The status. So we'll say again, we go weiter. So remember again, remember again, the, the Gemara goes on. The Gemara says as follows. The status. Armi Yitzchak. Devar Torah, Shota Miskareshes. So we'll say, listen to this. So Rav Yitzchak says, Mida a man who is married to a Shota, ultimately, again, he could divorce her. So I will say, this could be in a couple of different capacities. In other words, so whether he married a woman who was typical, right? Ultimately, again, she, and then ultimately, again, she, be, she becomes Nishtata, she becomes a Shota. He has the ability to divorce her. Why? Midi dehava pikachas bal karcha. I will say, because ultimately, again, it's no different than a regular woman who could be divorced against her will. Even with a regular woman who has total capacity, you are allowed to divorce a woman without her consent. To which the Gemara says, So here's what's interesting. So really, because, because you don't need the consent of a woman for Gershin, therefore, even by a Shota, you should be able to divorce her. So why did Chazal tell the husband that he cannot divorce his Shota wife? Why not? To which the Because we're concerned that if a Shota is divorced, the Shota woman is divorced, people will take advantage of her. 
People take advantage of her. To which the Gemara says, well, what's the case? Hechidami. So I will say, remember, again, there's different, there's different shades of being a shota. If she's the type of woman who, if she were to receive a get, could, could guard her get, and also knows how to look out for her person, for her body, then ultimately, again, then I will say, she'll be fine. She'll be fine. People won't take advantage of her. So now here's so no, what are we talking? We're talking about a woman who ultimately again doesn't know how to guard her document and also doesn't know how to take care of herself. So I'll say that's the case where Chazal were concerned that if we allow a husband to divorce his wife in this state, other people take advantage of her. To which the Gemara says, in this kind of case. Would, would Midoraiz, would you be able to, to divorce such a woman after Allah Omri Dir Rabbianai, the Nasan Biyada? Bose Torah says as follows. Torah says, You shall put the get in her hand. The Nasan Biyada. A woman has to be able, her hand, she has to have a hand, right? In other words, I will say, as much as you could divorce someone against her will, she has to have basic capacity to be able to receive and to look after her get. This would exclude ultimately the Anabose woman who doesn't have the ability to receive and to guard her own get. You have to send the wife away from your home when you divorce her. Rabbi say this refers to a woman where when you divorce her, she's going to leave. Right? The Gemara says, I'm sorry, but if a woman gets divorced, she leaves home and she comes back. In other words, what does it mean? She leaves home and she comes back. She doesn't have the capacity to recognize what divorce really is. Ultimately, again, she's not divorced. So Rabbi say, let, let's analyze it just a moment. So what we do, what, remember, the Mishnah said, that if a woman is a shota, her husband should not divorce her. The Gemara says, Midoraisa, he can't divorce her. Why can you divorce a shota? Because divorce doesn't require consent. So the same way that divorce doesn't require consent, ultimately, Allah Maisa, man could divorce his wife, even if she's a shota. Aye, so why did the Rabbanan say don't? Because we don't want people to take advantage of her. But one second, the Gemara says, if we're talking about a woman who people could take advantage of, that means she has no das. If she has no das, then even midaraisa, you can't. In other words, as much as divorce doesn't require consent, divorce requires another party who has das. But if we're talking about a woman who can't guard her get, can't guard her person, then lemaisi, even midaraisa, you can't divorce her. What are we talking about? A woman who has enough capacity to guard a document. Right? If you put something in her hand, she could watch over that, but she does not know how to watch over herself. To which the Gemara says, Devar Torah, Shota Miskarashas, in such a case, the only level of capacity you need is enough capacity that if you put something in her hand, she knows how to take care of it. But if she can't look after herself, you could still divorce her. It's in that case where even though, again, since she has the ability to guard that which is in her hand, ultimately what you have the right to divorce her, Chazal stepped in and said, In that case, I will say that Rabbanan stepped in and said, no, no, no. In that kind of case, even though you can divorce her, but since we are concerned that what? 
that halacha she can't look after herself. People are going to take advantage of her. In that case, Chazal said, you can't divorce her. You can't divorce her. This is the Diak in the Mishnah. If you look at the Mishnah, the Mishnah says as follows. The Mishnah says, if she becomes a Shota, so the Mishnah says, you can't, the husband can't divorce her. Yet if the husband becomes a Shota and he's married, or as he got married, he was a normal guy when he got married, then he becomes a Shota. The Mishnah says, first white line will say, Loyotsi Olamis. He can never divorce her. And I will say, see the difference in Lashem? When she becomes a Shota, the Mishnah says he cannot divorce her. When he becomes a Shota, the Mishnah says he can never divorce her forever. Why is it safe forever by him and not forever by her? Here's the difference. My Shnahacha, Diktani Olamis, Umay Shnahasam Delokatani Olamis, Elishmamina Hadaraisa Hadrabana. We'll say, here we go. Watch this. You see, when he becomes a shota, when he becomes a shota, I will say, mid-oraisa, he can't affect divorce. Because since he doesn't have das, he can't affect divorce. That's why the Mishnah says he can never divorce. That means do-oraisa, he can never divorce her. I will say, when she becomes a shota, could he divorce her? Could he divorce her? Yeah. As long as she has enough capacity to hold that get in her hand and watch that get, she's good, right? In other words, he could divorce her mid-oraisa. Midrabanan is not allowed to divorce her. Why? Again, we're assuming we're talking about a case about a woman who can't look after herself because we're concerned that halacha people will take advantage of her. So it doesn't use lashon of olamis forever because olamis means daraisa. It's telling us that halacha lamaisa midaraisa can divorce her, but midrabanan to safeguard this one that other people shouldn't take advantage of her. We preclude him from divorcing her. Incredible. I'm Rabbi Yochanan Minuri. So Rabbi Yochanan Minuri said as follows. So the Gemara says from the Mishnah by law. They will say, what was Rabbi Yochanan Ben-Nuri asking about, right? It was Rabbi Yochanan Ben-Nuri said in the Mishnah, why is it that a woman who becomes a Chareshes ultimately again could be divorced, but ultimately again a man who becomes a Chiresh cannot divorce his wife? So the Gemara says as follows, according to Rabbi Yochanan Ben-Nuri, Ish Ish was it pushed for him about a man, but he was musubak about a woman? Or maybe, again, it's pushed by the case of the woman, but he was musubak about the man. Tashma, but I'll say, look at what the Gemara said. So they said to Yochan Menuri, you can't compare. You can't compare. Why? Because a woman could be divorced with her will or against her will. But a man could only divorce with his consent. Yisrael's question was about the man, not about the woman. was asking the Watch, this will conclude. Rabbi Yochanan says, if you ask me the same way, the same way that a man, if he is a shota, cannot divorce his wife, when a woman becomes a shota, she cannot be divorced as well. But according to you, Tanakama, why do you make a distinction between a man and a woman? And by a man, you'll say, if a man becomes a shota, he can't divorce his wife. But if a woman becomes a shota, her husband can divorce her. 
And they say back to Bilcha Minuri because you can't compare it. Because in general, in general, divorce requires the das of the man, but doesn't require the das of the woman. So I will say, if you bring this all together, this will stop. What we have is as follows. When the man becomes a shota, he cannot divorce his wife. Everyone will agree with that because remember, divorce requires consent. When the woman becomes a shota, if she has the ability to watch her get, then you can divorce her. You can't divorce her because we are concerned that people are going to take advantage of her. If she doesn't have the ability to watch anything, her person or her get, then even divorce will be impossible in such a situation. I will say we will stop here. Shkoyach, everyone. A wonderful morning of learning together. Shkoyach, thank you again to Maishin and Jeremy for making this possible. Have a great day, everyone.